Hey, what's happening everybody at Every Nation Somerset West? It is such a privilege for me to be sharing the word with you today. I have deep respect not only for your senior pastor and your leadership team, but also a deep respect for you as a church. Your faith, your love, your love for missions, your love for the lost and those who are the least of these is inspiring. And so again, thank you for the privilege of being able to be with spiritual family this Sunday. About a number of years ago, I had taken my daughter out for a swim. That particular day, there was a book that I wanted to finish. And so she was in the pool swimming. Now she was quite young, so she wasn't really a uh, very confident swimmer. And so she had like a, a, a floaty on around her waist. And we had done this a couple of times. It was never really an issue. But on this particular day, I noticed at the corner of my eye that the floaty she had began to tilt over until it completely flipped. Her head went into the water and her feet were dangling above the water. I have to admit, I kind of froze for a moment or two because I thought this must be a joke or maybe I'm imagining something. And then it clicked to me. Oh my word, I'm her dad. I need to rescue her. So without even thinking, I jumped into the pool, still holding my book on my left hand and grabbed her with my right hand, picked her up and looked her in the face for a sign of life. And sure enough, she did this. And I knew in that moment, not only was she still alive, but she was still black, which uh, was praising God for both of those things. Uh, I took her out of the water, went on my knees and checked her nerve, found out how she's doing. She was crying a little bit. And, and then I said to her, baby, we're going to go home, but please don't tell your mom. And she said, sure, dad, sure, let's go. And so we started walking. And while we were walking, I felt the Holy Spirit nudge on me a little bit to, to speak to her about swimming again. So I went back on my knees and I said, baby girl, I, I really think you need to swim again. And she said, why? I said, well, I don't want you to grow up having a fear for water. And so because I don't want you to do that, I think we should swim right now so that you won't be afraid of the water. And she said, okay, cool. And she went back into the pool, put on her floaty. This time around, I took my book, put it down. I was father extraordinaire. And we had a great time. When you think of the book of James, this is the image I would love for you to have. You see, James is speaking to a people who were persecuted because of their faith. And so now they are spread all over. They have left Jerusalem and some of them are tempted to begin to live lives apart from the faith, but others are wrestling to try and keep the strength of their lives in the faith. And so picture James going on his knees, speaking to these Jewish believers and saying, I need you to go back to the pool of faith, you see, because this is the place from which you ought to live your life. In fact, all of life is meant to be lived from faith. You see, like you and I, we can sometimes be tempted to think, 
maybe this faith doesn't work for me. Maybe when we hit a wall and something challenging happens to us and we compare ourselves to other people and we go, maybe this faith works for them, but it doesn't work for me. And we can begin to profess faith, but not actually live from faith. James is trying to encourage these people to go back to the pool of faith and live from faith in all of life. How does faith impact our relationships with one another? How does faith impact our trials? How does faith even impact our our, our speech and our tongue? This is what the book of James is about. And so today I have a bit of a challenging job because the text I'm going to be sharing from today is quite a strong text. James here is trying to help us know how our faith impacts our planning and our calendar, but it also talks into how our faith impacts how we think about money. And so if you have your Bibles, turn with me to James chapter 4. We're going to read from verse 13 all the way through to James 5 verse 6. Come now, you who say, today or tomorrow we will go into such and such a town and spend a year there and trade and make a profit. Yet you do not know what tomorrow will bring. What is your life? For you are a mist that appears for a little while and then vanishes. Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we will live and do this or that. As it is, you boast in your arrogance. All such boasting is evil. So whoever knows the right thing to do and fails to do it, for him it is sin. Come now, you rich, weep and howl for the miseries that are coming upon you. Your riches have rotted and your garments are moth-eaten. Your gold and silver have corroded and their corrosion will be evidence against you and will eat your flesh and will eat your flesh like fire. You have laid up treasure in the last days. Behold, the wages of the laborers who mowed your fields, which you kept back by fraud, are crying out against you. And the cries of the harvesters have reached the ears of the Lord of hosts. You have lived on the earth in luxury and in self-indulgence. You have fatted your hearts in a day of slaughter. You have condemned and murdered the righteous person. And he does not resist you. Father, thank you for your word. Today I pray that as we have read your word, that you would speak to us through your word, by your spirit, for your glory and for our good, in Jesus' name. Amen. James, in the portion of scripture we have just read, is speaking to two groups of people. The first group of people is a bunch of merchants, a bunch of entrepreneurs. These people are a people of faith. They they probably live out in the city, and it seems like they have some kind of prior success in their businesses that you can tell they expect future success by the way that they planning. You see, when they plan in verse 13, they've already determined when they're going to leave, where they are, 
where they're going, how long they will be there for, what they will do when they get there, and they've already determined that after the first year, they will already have made a profit. That is quite ambitious. They have already planned that they will succeed in what they have set out. Now, upon first reading, it sounds like or it seems like James is rather strong with them. He uses the word, come now. This is the equivalent of a coach going to a losing team in half time and he walks into the locker room and he says, everybody listen up. It's, it's drawing attention. It's confronting. Why would James do that? Uh, you see, when we read it, it's almost as if James is telling them that they shouldn't be planning. But that's not what James is doing. The, the reason we know that that's not what James is doing is because the book of Proverbs, which by the way is, is the foundation of the book of James, that and along with the sayings of Jesus, the book of Proverbs tells us that planning is critical. In fact, it also tells us that those who don't plan are acting foolishly. So if James is not referring to that, what then is the trouble in the text? Well, it's quite simple. You see, these merchants, these entrepreneurs are living with a calendar, with their plans above their faith. They are living with their plans above their faith. You see, what that means is they know God, they love God, but they deny the presence, the power, and the wisdom of God in their plans. They have determined in their minds that they can succeed without the help of God. This is what James is speaking to, that there's a group of you in the faith who think you can do planning and you can do your life and you can achieve success without God being present. And so James begins to engage them by a few thoughts. And here's the first thought. James says, you don't even know what tomorrow will bring. You don't know what tomorrow, you don't know that in 2020, there will be a COVID-19 virus that spreads all over the world and impacts everybody's life. You don't know that. Yet, you boast in your arrogance. Verse 16, you, you boast in the fact that you think that you know all things. You see, what James is ultimately engaging them on and why he says this kind of boasting is evil is that when we plan our lives without the presence, the wisdom, without the knowledge that God is present, we begin to make our plans above God. We begin to choose our will over his will. We begin to make ourselves God. We begin to call ourselves people who are in control and not God. We begin to take God out of his throne and we place ourselves at the throne. James is reminding them, you don't even know what tomorrow will bring. Yet why are you boasting in your arrogance? Now, the word boasting here is a war term. 
when a general would want to encourage his soldiers to go and give their lives in war, he would boast. He, he would say something like, uh, uh, tonight we will feast at the table of our enemies. And then the soldiers would be inspired and they would run into the field and give their lives into battle. What you boast in is what you find confidence in. You see, they weren't boasting in God. They were boasting in their plans. Their calendar was above their faith. You see, this is troubling for a few reasons. You see, if your confidence is in your plans, then what would happen is this. If, if you succeed, it will go to your head, and if you fail, it will crush your heart. You see, when you succeed, uh, and you've placed your confidence in your plans, your success validates the fact that you think you are in charge of your life. You are in control of the future. You are in control of your success apart from God. And when you fail, you're not just going to be discouraged, but it's going to break you. Why? Because when you fail, you won't just consider that your plans have failed, but because you have placed yourself in the place of God, you are going to feel that you are a failure. It's why so many people are struggling with anxiety is because all the pressure to succeed has been placed on their shoulders. All the pressure to succeed has been placed on themselves. James is discouraging this way of planning. And he's saying our faith impacts the way we plan. We don't plan like the people of the world. We plan with our faith in mind. In fact, Proverbs verse 3 says this. Proverbs 3 verse 5 to 6. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him and he will make straight your paths. You see, we shouldn't live with the calendar above our faith. In fact, we should live with the calendar slap bang in the middle of our faith. By the way, it is also bad to live with the calendar under your faith because that means you think that you can live life without needing to plan. That God will take care of everything. I don't need to be wise. I don't need to be proactive with my life. And so I have this calendar under my faith. But actually, the way we ought to live is like this. Trusting in the Lord and him leading us and helping us and giving us the understanding that we cannot get by ourselves. James continues to challenge them he, and, he, and he says to them, your life is but a mist. Uh, years ago, my wife and I lived in South Korea for two years. We're there as missionaries. When we landed for the very first time, it was minus 17 degrees and there was snow. I had never seen snow in my entire life. It was cold. Uh, and we walked out of the airport and when we started speaking, there was a mist that would come out of our mouths. 
James is saying, that's what your life is like. It is like a mist. It appears for a little while and then it vanishes. You see, those who live with their lives planned out to the T, those who live with the calendar above their faith seem to think that their success on this earth is all that matters. But James is ultimately pointing us to a greater reality. You see, if your success only makes sense on this earth, you are not successful. The only kind of success that, that actually is permanent is the success that makes sense in light of eternity. Why? Because your life is but a mist. You, that's, that's, that's it. It's here now and it's gone tomorrow. Your life is but a mist. And so if, you, if you're living your life with the eternal success in mind, then, then you will do the right thing that you know you should do. Uh, right there at the end in verse 17, it tells us, those of you who know the right thing that you ought to do and you choose not to do it, that is sin. You see, uh, when we're living our lives with just the earth in mind, with just this temporal life in mind, we can begin to think that uh, we are doing the right things, but when we put our lives in light of eternity, we begin to realize that there are some things that the world might think are right, but eternity doesn't think they're right. That there are certain things that eternity says, this is what you ought to be doing. And when you live with that kind of perspective, then you live intentionally in this life knowing that eternity is in session. So, if we shouldn't live with the calendar above our faith, how then should we live? James says, when you speak, you should rather say, if God wills. Now, if God wills, we will do this and we will do that. Now, this can easily become a Christian cliche of, oh, maybe God will do it if God wills, but that's not the intention. And the reason why that's not the intention is that uh, uh, in the book of Matthew, we find Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane going through a similar moment. And here's what he says. He, he is sitting in the garden of Gethsemane. He's re getting ready for the cross. And he says, Lord, this is really tough. This is really painful. But Lord, if you are able to let this pass me by, please do. But Lord, not my will, but yours. What's he doing? He's not living with his plans above his faith. He's not living with his plans below his faith. What's he doing? He, he is living in faith before God. And, and he's saying, Lord, right here in this moment, I am trusting you. I am depending on you. And I am stewarding the call that you've given me. Lord, I am trusting you to provide for me the resources, the direction, the wisdom. But also I am stewarding the call that you've called me to because your will is more important than my will. What you deem to be successful is more important than what I want and what I deem to be successful. Are you living that way? Is your faith affecting your plans in that kind of way that you're able to trust 
God and at the same time steward your resources? Are you able to trust God to give you more than what you actually deserve so that you can steward a a purpose that is greater than just your plans? Jeremiah 9 verse 23 says this, Thus saith the Lord, Let not the wise man boast in his wisdom. Let not the mighty man boast in his might. Let not the rich man boast in his riches. But let him boast in this, that he understands and knows me, that I am the Lord who practices steadfast love, justice, and righteousness in the earth. For in these things I delight, declares the Lord. The second group of people that James is speaking to is a bunch of landowners out in the countryside. These people don't seem to have faith, but they are extremely wealthy. In fact, when you read it in James chapter 5, they have clothes that they haven't worn for probably years, so much so that the moth is eating into their clothes. They, They have... Uh, uh, blocks of gold in their houses that have begun to erode that no one even uses, no one even cares about. That's how wealthy these individuals are. Again, upon initial reading, you, you are tempted to see that James is aggressive towards them because they're rich. The problem is not that they're wealthy. right? As much as James is saying in verse 1, again, Come now, you rich. The the issue is not that they're wealthy. The issue is they have placed their confidence and derived their sense of identity and worth from their riches. You see, unlike the first group of people who had their calendar above their faith, this group of people have their wallet above their faith. They, they live as though they wallet determines who they are and what they're worth. So James confronts them and he, he, he addresses the fact that they live with treasures that they've laid up for themselves on this earth. This should remind us of something that Jesus says in Matthew chapter 6. Verse 19 to 21, do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where where neither moth or rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Where is your treasure today? You see, these people, these landowners, their treasure was in their riches. And it impacted the way that they did life. It impacted the way that they related to the laborers who were helping them every single day, who were working with them every single day. It impacted those people. As a matter of fact, what what actually happened is that the laborers were supposed to get paid every day at the end of the day. And they would be able to take that money and go home and feed their children. But the landowners defrauded them. Instead of the landowners 
paying them their wages by the end of the day, the landowners would, would hold back on their wages and keep more for themselves. You see, when you've laid up your treasures here on this earth, you cannot help but hoard and protect and, and try and make sure that you, you gain as much wealth as possible because the more you have, the more you feel like you have a sense of identity. You see, the problem with that is that when we make riches our God, it's very easy for us to oppress those who have their backs most against the wall. And that is what's happening in this text. It is so bad that here are these laborers who need clothes and yet the landowners have clothes that they never use rotting away in their houses. Here are these laborers who, who need income and yet the landowners have, have gold being corroded in their houses. And so the Bible says that the laborers began to cry out you see, they couldn't cry out to any other system because it's only the landowners who had rights and, and these laborers did not have rights. You see, the landowners had the wealth to, to have influence, but these laborers did not have the wealth to gain any influence. And so guess who heard the cries of the laborers? The Bible says it was the Lord of hosts. That means it was the Lord of the angel armies, of the armies of heaven. Sometimes we, we like to think that God's silence means that God approves of what we're doing. That's not true. I would much rather fall in, in the hands of my friends engaging me and telling me that, hey, you need to change the way you live because I would feel that that is the mercy of God telling me, hey, there, there's a better way to live than this. I would much rather have that in my life be corrected by a brother than to be placed in the hands of God. Because God don't play. I, I know God is loving. I, I know God is compassionate. But God is serious. He is serious about how we care for the least of these. So much so that when you continue to read in, in James, it says you have lived in this earth in luxury and self-indulgence. You, you have fattened your hearts. The, the example here is, is kind of like a pig. A, a pig doesn't have to hunt for anything, doesn't have to worry or be concerned about anything. Every single day the pig is fed, the, the master gives the pig whatever, the, uh, whatever is left over, the pig is just growing and is more fat and is more fat and the worst day for the pig is the day of slaughter. <laughs> That's what James is saying in this text, is that for every pig there is a day of slaughter. For every, for every person who has fattened their hearts with the riches is a day of judgment. And in that day, God will not only remember what you did, God will remember how you treated those who were the least of these. You see, we ought to live not as pigs, always trying to consume, consume 
but rather as sons who are always grateful, always grateful. See, the, the problem with these landowners is that they placed their confidence in their wealth and as a result lived in a way that was oppressive to those who are poor. But when we live our lives understanding that everything we have is a gift from God, the way we live out our faith is that we live it out with generosity and we live it out with wisdom. 1 Timothy chapter 6 verse 17 puts it like this, As for the rich in the present age, charge them not to be haughty, nor to set their hopes on the uncertainty of riches, but on God, who richly provides us with everything to enjoy. They are to do good. To, they are to do good, to be rich in good works, to be generous and ready to share, thus storing up treasures for themselves as a good foundation for the future, so that they may take hold of that which is truly life. You see, our great example is Jesus. Jesus came from a place of privilege. He had everything he needed and yet he laid it all down so that those who were far from him, those who were naked, those who were uh, poor could come into his wealth. He laid it all down on the cross so that when we believe in him, we might receive the life that we don't deserve. See, it's hard for the wealthy to lay down their wealth, especially during these times. I don't know if you remember the text that, that, that speaks about how hard it is for the rich to enter the kingdom of God. And, and the reason that the Bible tells us that is this, is that they believed that their morality was attached to their riches. They believed that the more that they had in wealth meant that the more righteous they were. And so they thought that when judgment day comes, they'll stand before God and they'll say, God, look at how much I have. Let me in. But God would say, look at what my son has done. Those who believe in him, they come in. So. We shouldn't live our lives with our wallets above our faith, nor should we live our lives with our wallets below our faith, because that would mean that we, are, we, we don't really have an intentionality with our finances. We just think, well, God will provide. I don't really need to be a good steward. God will provide. No, no, no. The Bible teaches us that we should live our lives with our wallet in our faith whereby we believe that all good things come from the Father of lights. And when we believe that he has given them to us as gifts, we give them generously to others and we steward them wisely for God's plans and purposes. And so, what have we said today? You see, we don't just profess our faith, but we live from our faith. And when we do that, we don't make our boast and find our confidence in our plans. We make our boast and find our confidence in the Lord. 
when we live from that faith, we don't find our sense of identity from our riches. We find a sense of identity from the sacrifice and the works of Jesus. It's when we live from this kind of faith, every nation, Somerset West, that we live from HD.